When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Drop Step. Uh, It's a little bit of a milestone episode today because I am joined by my first UK guest. I am joined by Mr. Hornets himself, James Plowright. We are here to talk Charlotte. James, I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, I think that we've we've picked a really good moment in the season when I originally sent you this message. Uh, at least a four-game losing streak, broken against the Celtics a couple of nights ago. Things are on the up, right? Well, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> look, the Celtics game was fun. It's always good to get a win against a great team and over time. Uh, but I'm I'm certainly not coming away from that thinking, you know, that the Charlotte Hornets are fixed and that this is going to be the turnaround moment of the season. Um uh, I don't know if things are on the up yet. I want to see, you know, every, every team can have those those weird nights where things go for mm-hmm. their way. And certainly things did go their way in that Celtics game. Uh, but look, I, I hope so. Uh, maybe as a, someone who's followed the Hornets for 15 plus years, uh, you'll you'll forgive me for not overreacting and getting carried away. Because uh, anytime we start to do that in the last 15 years, that's, that's generally turned out badly. I think that's the sensible thing to do. So, yeah, we can't overreact to a one-game victory in overtime, despite it being against the Boston Celtics. What I think we can do is have a serious conversation about the number one player at the franchise, LaMelo Ball. Just looked like a star turn this year. Uh, I, I think that he's he's come in for uh, unnecessary flack over the last couple of years, particularly last year, sort of accusations of hogging the ball, chucking up shots, this year, he seems to have struck a balance where the productivity has gone up, the efficiency has gone up, and he's impacting games very consistently on a night-to-night basis at at least an all-star level for me. Yeah, I would argue last year he probably did chuck up shots and was a little bit selfish. Yeah. But 
there is a very good reason for that, which you don't understand unless you actually watch the Charlotte Hornets play basketball. And mm. that's because they had so many injuries last season. So that's the first thing. The guys he was sharing the floor with, it was not the normal starting unit whatsoever. Um, you had second round pick starting who'd never started before. Um, so, and like Terry Rizier was out injured at times. Gordon Hayward was out injured. So he was having to carry a team which just had very little offensive talent. So his usage did go up and he did take some really poor shots. Um, mm. On top of that, he was also playing any minutes he played last year. He was never at 100%. Uh, he had an ankle sprain to start the year. He came back for a little bit of time, re-sprained it, came back again, and then eventually broke the ankle. Um, but even for those 20-something games he played, he was never healthy. So he was trying to do too much, trying to carry a talentless team while playing with an ankle that was far from 100%. So I think for that reason, he settled more, took more jump shots, didn't get to the rim as much because just mm. like driving into that contact was something he didn't want to do. And I always said, like, last year you can throw away what you saw from the Mellow Ball for the most part. And I think we've begun to see some of that being true when you look at some of his production this year. Yeah, up to 25.3 points per game this year, 5.6 rebounds, 8.3 assists. And what's really jumped out to me is, uh, I think you said there, James, over half of his shots came from three last year, probably lacked that little bit of burst or maybe a little bit of confidence on the ankle. He's the, the shot diet is what's really jumped out to me. So looking at basketball reference, um, Lamelo has always been a rim attempts and three guy or sort of a floaters and threes guy. And he's almost gone even further in that direction this year. It seems to all either be coming from behind the arc or from 10 feet in. I think that's fair to say. And I think there's been a real commitment and a real aggression to get into the rim this season, which seems to be really opening up opportunities for his teammates as well. And and like we said, the efficiency's gone up. What's what's jumped out to you, James, about Lamelo this year? Do you think it's just confidence in the ankle? Has there been a change in mentality? Is it having the talent back around him? Um, I I think some of that helps, although some of the talent around him this year has not played up to up to scratch like you expect to the yeah. minute. Um Look, I think part of it, yes, is being healthier and then also just being a lot stronger. Like all the metrics they have in their weight room, like he had surgery over the summer, so he wasn't able to do much on court. But mm -hmm. Steve Clifford said the other day, all, all the statistics from the training staff show that he's got so much stronger, not not just since his rookie year, but since last year. And I think you're seeing some of that, his you know, ability to get downhill, get to the rim. It's a big part of Steve Clifford's coaching philosophy is get a paint touch before a shot. Um, so I think as he's, you know, had that coaching staff imprint that on his mind. That's something yeah. he's thinking of. He's now doing the Steve Nash dribble where he kind of looks like dribbling underneath the backboard and kind of kicking out for a pass or sometimes finishing with a reverse. And that's something he rarely did. So I think he's just becoming a little bit more confident trying to attack the rim. He's also trying to draw more contact, trying to draw fouls, probably too yeah. much at times. Like there's been some, some questionable flops and also some questionable calls, but I'd say... Maybe it's a two-to-one ratio for a, you know, Lamelo complaining about a foul call when it probably wasn't. Um, so I, I just think it's something that he's wanting to try and focus on more is, you know, if you get to the rim, free throws are the most efficient shot in the NBA. So he's trying to get himself fouled. You do that by driving into contact. And, you know, he's a six-eight point guard. So he's often sometimes being guarded by guys who are smaller and he's wanting to take advantage of that.
Absolutely. Six, eight point guards that, you know, complain to the refs for fouls at Luca in the West. This is uh, this is what Lamelo should be aiming for, right? Draw all those fouls, complain to the referees as much as possible. He's too popular online anyway. I think we need to start getting a little bit of balance here where we start seeing, oh, well, man, he's complaining he, he, at the refs. You say bit. he's popular online. Uh, anyone in the national NBA media seems to hate Lamelo Ball. <laughs> and, and this that... is partly because, and partly the reason, and I've spoken to various people in and outside yeah. the Hornets organization about this is the Mellow Ball is the worst interview in the league, right? You speak, you watch the Mellow Ball get interviewed. He says three things. He either says no, or he says, I got to watch the film or, or he'll just say, you got to lock in, got to watch film, be better next time. And that is basically his three answers to anything you ask him. And when you're like a national reporter and you're trying to like do a feature on him, he comes across yeah. like almost rude basically. And it's not him being rude. It's just like how he is. And, he doesn't need the fame, like you say. He's got the off-court, uh, you know, shoe deals and clothing deals, and um, I, I just don't think he is a he is a popular guy nationally, and that definitely impacts him. I think, on balance, the NBA can't ask for more from the Ball family in terms of media content quotes. I think it's all been spent up on Lavar. So if if Lamelo wants to be a little bit quieter, that's uh, that's all good with me. I think. What, what's probably, he is the most important player on the team, right? In terms of the now, in yep. terms of the long-term future. How encouraged have you been by what you've seen this season, James? How how close is he to being a number one option on a team that we think can win games? Because like you said, in the national media, there's questions of, is he a winning player? Isn't he? I think unquestionably, he shows the traits of being a winning player. He gets his teammates involved. When we spoke about last year, like you said, down on talent, not necessarily at 100% fitness. I think he's a really kinetic player in that he he gets players the ball with fizz. He, he's incredibly exciting. He pushes in transition. I think he's a winning player. How close do you think he is to leading the Charlotte Hornets out of some slightly dark times? Uh, I'd, I'd be very dark times. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, I think Lamelo Ball... If you were to say to me right now, is he a number one option on a top six seeded playoff team, or is he a number two option on a like very very good maybe top three or four conference team? I would say like his skill set is probably better matched to being the number two on a very good team, just because he can shoot the ball exceptionally well. As soon as someone were to double, you know, a Luca, a Jokic, and Embiid, you could imagine him getting open shots or attacking the space and making the next play. He's not a really refined half-court scorer. He's not someone teams ne necessarily double. Um, he, yeah. he isn't someone who can like give the ball and just clear out and let him isolate. So like that classic way of how we've seen a lot of these fourth quarter closers and those best guys in those teams, you can just kind of give them the ball and get out of the way at times. Um, and I wouldn't say Lamelo is that. He is someone who he needs to be catching the ball off movement. There needs to be a system. Um, and I th the other thing at the minute is I just don't think this situation is really helping him. I mean, his his two-point percentage in terms of the number of his two-point attempts that are assisted by his teammates is the lowest in the NBA of anyone playing starting minutes. He is at 88.7% of his two-point makes are unassisted, which basically means he is having to create absolutely everything at the rim. And his efficiency is like similar to last year, but the volume is way up. Um, but I still think we're finding out the answer to that question. If if Lamelo doesn't get any better over the next five years, I'd say he probably isn't that player to lead you to a top six seed. But we know that he's 22 years old. He's got all the talent in the world. He works hard. And 
he, this is the first time he's probably going to have that experience of leading a team this way, like being that unquestionable one. I think his uh, usage percentage is fourth in the NBA right now. The yeah. other three guys ahead of him is like Luca, Embiid. Um, I can't remember the other name. Uh, and they're all guys who are like in year seven, eight, nine, like, and Lamelo is in year four. So he has just kind of been thrust into this number one position very early in his career. And we've seen a long list of guys struggle. Devin Bucker was a guy in Phoenix, similar situation, yeah. struggled when he was younger. So I, I just think it'll take a little bit of time for him to mature. I think this team needs to be better fit around him and what his needs are. Um, but I don't think we have a definitive answer to that question yet. Yeah, I don't think he looks like your typical number one scoring option on a team. What I'm banking on is him being able to raise the play of the other players around him, get players easier shots. I think that we see that consistently on a night-to-night basis. He's such a he's such a risky passer. You know, you see some of these wraparounds, some of these highlights where it's you know the ball is being shot out of a cannon at people's hands. It's no looks. It's there's there an incredible highlight against Celtics last night last night, a couple of nights ago that sort of behind the back pass as he's falling out of bounds yeah. with a hell of a lot of pace on it i i think that when i look at lamello i i love his value around the league because i think he can fit next to multiple stars i know that he's fourth in usage i know that he's getting a lot of touches at the moment but i think his profile probably lends itself to playing next to another sort of certified bucket getter. I and completely agree, do we, yeah. Do we think that Brandon Miller can be that guy? I think he's come into the NBA and just... I, he's come into the NBA and he's looked NBA ready. Uh, obviously not that number one scoring option yet, but certainly shown some flashes so far. Uh, he could be. It's obviously incredibly early. Um, yeah. I, I think he certainly could be. He has the like half-court scoring ability, can shoot over people, dribble, pass, shoot. Mm. Um, you know, you look at his profile, a 6'9 wing who can defend, uh, shoot the ball, get to spots in the mid-range. Like those guys in the NBA, in the modern NBA, are extremely valuable. And that's why I was always confused at draft time when the whole NBA had a absolute huge hard-on for Scoot Henderson when he was an undersized <laughs> guard who struggled to shoot. And you have right. a 6'9 guard who could defend and shoot and pass in Brandon Miller, I, I've always got confused at how everyone just seemed to forget everything we know about the NBA in that kind of little vacuum. Um, he absolutely could be. Look, Brandon's biggest challenge, and this is also probably a, well, less of a weakness this year, but like, neither Brandon or Lamello are guys that you're just like, oh my God, like, if they get to the rim, it's over. Like, Brandon Miller really struggles yeah. to get to the rim and really struggles to finish there. I don't think, people say, oh, as he gets stronger, he'll solve that. I, I just think that's a little bit like, looking at the glass half full. He's never been someone who has got to the rim. He's always been a mid-range slash three-point shooter. And you can be really effective doing that, right? Um, mm. And that's where I think it will come down to a little bit. He's not going to be able to physically dominate players like some of the best players. You know, Luka Doncic is physically dominant. He's so unbelievably strong. Absolutely. Same with Giannis. You know, same with James Harden back in like his best days. You know, he was so physical getting to the rim. Um, I don't think Brandon Miller is going to be quite like that. And normally the elite, elite number one options are just guys who can get to where they want on the floor. Anthony Edwards probably being a, another example. But yeah. I definitely think he has potential to be someone, you know, maybe more like a Jason Tatum type. Late career, Paul George, maybe not living at the rim, but can can really hurt you in that mid-range once he gets a matchup he likes or from three-point arc.
yeah, he's a finesse player. He's a, he's a skill guy. I think that that touch from three, that touch from the mid-range, just an awareness of when to take his shots, how to get to his spots on an NBA floor. I think that sometimes you talk about guys as uh, really struggling with the uptake in the NBA, really struggling with the uptake in pace. But he looks like a player to me that's really enjoying a more spaced out floor. Didn't really get to access that mid-range game at Alabama last year. Was very much, again, a sort of dunks and threes or layups and threes team. And it's been really exciting to see in flashes, you know, against the Knicks, for example, just accessing that area that's so often been ignored in the last couple of years. I think they almost profile a little bit like um, maybe the archetype is the Phoenix Suns team. Uh, You know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker your big dominant centre in DeAndre Ayton. He didn't end up being that. But these two guys that can potentially live in the mid-range, bomb away from three, create in the areas where some of the other elite stars don't necessarily live in, pose slightly different problems and and get by on that. I, I Yeah, I, I just, I wonder with Brandon because it's been such a positive acclamation to the league it's how does he, what, what does success look like for Miller this year? Well, I think you want to see progress in your rookie year. Yep. I think especially on the defensive end. He's had some really good defensive games. His first half against Indiana was probably one of the best defensive like displays I've seen from a rookie since Michael Gilchrist with the Charlotte Hornets. Um, wow. Uh, uh, the, the list there isn't a long list in terms of people to potentially take that crown, but you know, it was yep. it was incredible. He he put Buddy Heald in absolute fits in that first half. He's then also had games where he's really struggled. Um, and he's still trying to do the right things. He seems to like play a really good defense possession for 80% of the possession and then just lets himself down at the last minute with a with a foul or something like that. And you know, Clifford, head coach, just said that for him, it's like all the it's all the off ball. He says, you know, pick and roll defense in college is so simple. There's just not a lot to it. When you get to the NBA and the pros, there is so many different plays, calls, uh, so many nuances, and it just takes time for any rookie to understand that. And he's bright, and Steve Clifford does not play guys who don't grasp this thing quickly, but there has still been a learning curve. So I think you hope to see maybe a little bit more growth defensively as it becomes more comfortable. I think you probably want to try and see that three-point percentage go up as the year goes on. You know, he came and built as a great shooter, and so far, he's probably been pretty streaky. Uh, the arc is a little bit further out, obviously, in the NBA. So I think that's where you want to see the growth. And then, like, at the minute to start the year, I can't check the stats because cleaning the glasses down today, but his usage was around 18%, which was pretty low on the team to start the season. And mm. I, I, my my eye test tells me in the last few games that's gone up a little bit. Um, but you know, by the end of the year, I would hope to see his kind of average usage around second third on the t- maybe not second third or fourth on the team rather than mm-hmm. being something like sixth or seventh on the team as it was so if he can keep the same level of play with maybe increase efficiency a little bit with more usage that's not easy to do but that would be that would be very successful yeah i i think that he's sort of passed that shaden sharp test last year where we saw shaden integrated into the blazers really early on but he was told you will receive catch and shoot threes and you will receive you know, uh, passes on cuts to the rim, basically. Do not try and do anything else. He's already been given the freedom to explore the studio space a little bit off the bounce in limited uh, sort of limited attempts. 
the minutes have already gone up. I think that he came into the season. I don't know if this was um, an upshot of him. I know that he was ill during the draft process. He lost a little bit of weight. I don't know if he was still building yeah, well, up. So he, he, had, he had mono in uh, spring yeah. of 2023. And that affected him not only in the pre-draft process and summer league, he, it still affected him as well. And Steve Clifford's talked about this, that, you know, like anyone who has mono or over or over here, I think it's not, you've got a different name over here, doesn't it? Um, mm. In the UK. But um, like it, that, that, can affect you for we're not talking like a month or two here that can affect you for nine to 12 months i had a cousin who essentially had impact by mono for 18 months so we are still really now only six to eight months on from when he had it and it honestly would not surprise me if he is still battling some you know lower level issues of like fatigue everything especially we think with the travel with all the games yeah. and short periods of time uh, so that is going to be a concern going forward if, if that, you know, later in the season, how is he going to be holding up with having mono earlier in the year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think one of the other things that's really impressed me about Miller is he's, he's come in with a commitment to hitting the glass already, which I think he did at Alabama. And uh, it's, it's one of the underrated things about the Charlotte Hornets. I think they've been a quietly good rebounding team this year, particularly on the offensive glass. I know that Mark Williams is a little bit of a... Uh, savant when it comes to, to reading the ball coming off and he, he gets himself in the right spaces uh just interesting to see how the hornets are trying to juice efficiency to sort of make up for maybe that that lack of absolute offensive quality on the team what yeah well uh, so, th i mean this is the opposite of steve clifford's previous coaching philosophy the last time he was in yeah. charlotte where uh this team was essentially uh Everyone gets back and defensive rebound. No one go for the offensive glass. But that was when yeah. you had, you know, a post player in Al Jefferson, a tiny point guard in Kemba Walker. Uh, things are different now. And mm -hmm. this year, Seacliff had said that we need to be able to balance that offensive rebounding, which he thinks we can be top 10 in the league, also on the defensive end as well, with transition defense, which has been a real struggle for this team. The transition defense has been terrible. And that's partly mm. responsible because they are trying to crash the offensive glass. So this is what I always say is you can, we can congratulate like the Mark Williams and other players for grabbing so many offensive rebounds, but you've also got to look at that in the same light that this is one of the worst offensive transition teams in the NBA. And that's part of playing into that as well. But I mean, yeah, Mark has been super active on the offensive boards. He seems to read the ball really well. has good agility. Um, and he's, some of his best games have just been fourth quarters where he's been able to grab I think he had 15 offensive rebounds against the Washington Wizards, um, which was just absolutely crazy. But he has struggled against more physical players, right? So he had a good game against Porzingis, had a good game against Daniel Gafford with the Wizards. But games against like Jalen Duran, he really struggled. Um, there are other games mm -hmm. as well out there that he, against the Knicks, Mitchell Robinson. He's had a couple of down games against him. So he is still like a long, agile, springy center rather than a strong guy and he does get a little bit bullied and ends up fouling people you know trying to fight for position and and all those things yeah I, I don't think there's any shame in being bullied by Mitchell Robinson as proved by the Cavaliers series last year I don't know what that man eats in the morning but he eats on the offensive and defensive glass that's for sure I, I've been really impressed with Mark just it's it's difficult to come into the it's difficult to come into the NBA playing a team where 
you're not necessarily drawing the same help that Derek Lively might have in Dallas, for example, where there's constantly two to the ball, whether it's Kyrie or Luca handling. I think you mentioned that Lamelo, while he's a fantastic player, there's there's not necessarily that urgency to go out and stop him from having the ball. He's he's been able to impact the game in so many ways, uh, particularly offensively. Looks like a really good pick and roll partner for Lamelo. Just parks himself under the rim. I think a lot of the time Lamelo has driven to the rim this year or you know Gordon Hayward has come off movement and they're looking for Williams under the rim just that little layoff pass where he can go up and he can dunk from two feet in sort of a, a simple role but also a little bit of utility as a handoff hub but I think that he's been um he's been better on the perimeter working with the likes of Hayward working with Ball working with PJ Washington even you know Miles Bridges in that in that one Celtics game where if you're a centre in today's league, you have to be able to do that on the perimeter. And I think the early signs are that Williams has a very rounded skill set for the NBA. Yeah, I think in handoff play, he's been good. There's been a couple of moments where he's tried to get a little bit fancy and throw some passes, and they've been a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, but mm-hmm. this is still, I know he's a second year player, but he played about 25 games last season um, at yeah. actual NBA games. So, Really, he's not got that much NBA experience. He's still playing people for the first time, you know, seeing teams, seeing opponents, styles, sets for the first time. So this really is kind of like half a rookie year, I think, for Mark. Um, he, his offensive game is almost like a product of how well the Hornets play. This is if he's not grabbing offensive rebounds, but he right. is not someone who is ever going to make a shot for himself. Create They're not going to give him the ball. Yeah. Exactly. So if you've got a game where you're getting lots of dribble penetration, you've got the other team in rotation, you know, you're drawing the big the big away from the basket and then Mark is free, that's where he's going to have his highest scoring games. Uh, the games where Mark struggles, you'll see that the Charlotte Hornets generally struggle because it means that the, the defense isn't under any stress and, and Mark is just kind of like sitting under the basket while being guarded. Um, so he is a, a good thermometer, really, of how this how this team is playing. Um, mm. be, just because he's so reliant on people creating for him. But you're right, him and Lamelo barely got to play with each other last year because of the injury overlaps between the two. So this yep. season's really all we've seen, and there's been some really good chemistry early. Like everyone's been saying since Lamelo got drafted, he needs a lob catching, rim running center, and he now has a very good one in Mark Williams. And they are very, very early in their careers. So on the offensive end, that's looking like a a really good kind of matchup pair between them. Yeah, Uh, on the offensive end, looking really promising. Touched on the transition defense earlier. Uh, Charlotte Hornets, 30th in defensive rating, giving up 120.3 points per 100 possessions. Is, Is that mainly down to the transition? Is... Is Williams having a tough time adjusting to being that anchor of a defense, or is he being let down on the perimeter? What's what's going on? Do you see him oh. as sort of an above average rim protector, which I think he maybe was projected as before the draft? Um, I mean, this could take up the rest of the podcast. Is what's wrong with the Hornets defense? So. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're not we're not we're not going to do that. Uh, the main issues for the Charlotte Hornets defensively this year has been the transition defense, which under Steve Clifford mm-hmm. is. Big no-no. The fact that they're a bad transition defense under Steve Clifford, when that's probably the first thing that he mentions every day when he comes into practice, that's a big concern that the the message is not getting through, or if it is getting through, mm. they're just not executing. So either way, it's a big concern. Um, the other aspect is just dribble penetration. That 
like if you're just getting killed just off the dribble, no no pick, no set anything. Like if people are just taking you off the dribble and getting two feet in the paint, you're you're just playing behind the play from that minute. You're in rotation from basically the start yep. of the shot clock. And this team does not have enough good defenders. Lamella Ball is not a, a guy who will stop dribble penetration on a consistent basis. Gordon Hayward can at times. Terry's here can at like everyone has like moments where you see it and you go, oh well, that was good. But it, it mm. has to be consistent for every play, and that just is not there. Um, so that that's why I think a lot of the time, Mark Williams, you know, if you're trying to, if you're a center in transition, you're just never going to be parked under the rim as much. So that's why he's not been as impactful in that area. And then also he's obviously a lot of the time having to try and rotate because guys are getting beat off the dribble and then guys are making kickouts or they're making drop-off passes. And he, he's not being able to be like a, a weak side help defender. He's having to come over and actually guard the guy because he's at the rim. Yeah. So, um, look, I think it's fair to say the, the defense has not been as advertised this season. That has been disappointing. I think you, some of the flashes he had defensively last year were, were better than some of what he's shown this season. Um, but this wider team context is just not helping him whatsoever. Um, so I think it's it's still, again, it's still early. He's still seeing a lot of these sets for the first time. First time really playing starter quality opponents and minutes. Um, there are definitely moments where you think Mark's going to block the shot and he doesn't. And it's kind of frustrating because he's got like yeah. the longest wingspan in the NBA draft combine history. Um, he's agile. He's athletic. Uh, and sometimes guys do manage to get shots over him. And, Coming out of the draft, it was like, who's a better rim protector, Walker Kessler and Mark Williams? That was a legitimate discussion. And I think Mark yeah. is a more versatile defender because he can guard more on the perimeter, which is one of his real strengths for someone of his size. But, I mean, at the minute, there is no question who's the better rim protector. Uh, so it is something Mark needs to get a little bit better on. The one thing I will say is Steve Clifford is a big don't foul coach. And this was always the case when Al Jefferson went here, when anyone, anyone else was here. He would rather you just be in position and get finished over than to jump and try and block the shot. So I don't think any player will ever have great raw shot blocking numbers when you look at their room defense. But if you look at, you know, things like synergy, uh, that's where I think it's more useful. So at the rim, his defense is basically ranked as average by synergy. And for mm -hmm. a center of his size and his length, you'd expect that to be good or excellent or even like above average. But it's just basically middle of the road average at the minute. Where you do see it show up is his ability to guard jumpers uh, on catch and shoots, guarded or unguarded. He's so long and quick and agile. He's rated as very good or good or excellent on all of those. So he like closing out on people is where he's like really, really strong at, which is kind of strange for those big seven foot two long centers. You don't normally think of them as great closeout guys, but that's something that Mark Williams absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. And I think you spoke about team context there earlier, how he didn't share many minutes with Lamelo on the court. And I, I think that probably means that he shared a lot of minutes with Dennis Smith Jr. in his rookie year. And when we're speaking about a sort of defensive context, you're going from having one of the best point of attack guys, ball pressure guys in the league, sort of funneling players towards you, a la Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez in Milwaukee, to just an avalanche of rim pressure. Um, sometimes that's 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 going to get through basically. So I think that there's there's definitely a balance to be struck. Certainly Williams has areas to improve. It's probably just about fine tuning that game and working. I think, like you said, James, between 
not giving up a load of fouls at the rim, not sending players to the line, but also just managing to stay aggressive in spurts as well. I, I think that that's probably going to be pretty I, important. Um, I just just one know. one other thing I forgot to mention offensively for Mark. Yeah. Um, what we didn't also talk about is this: the Hornets team currently ranks thirtieth, or I did last time I checked, thirtieth in the league in three point frequency, thirtieth in the league in three point percentage. So when you talk mm. about Lamella Ball and Mark Williams. You know, think about the lack of space that Mark is going to have underneath the rim. Like this is the these teams aren't being stretched. They're being able to kind of just like sit in the paint and take away a lot of these threes. So that's also important additional context. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why sort of Lamelo passes look so impressive because he's threading the ball through an eye of a needle, right? Yeah. I think you know, yeah. As this team gets better, we might see less top ten NBA highlight plays, which will be a slight shame. But I think that you make that sacrifice for wins. Williams, Miller, Ball, all born within a year of each other, prominently featuring as this team's young core. There's definitely a role-playing cast around them. It's not a very deep role-playing cast, but the likes of Gordon Hayward have had a decent season to start the year. PJ Washington coming off the back of an extension. I know that Terry's missed some time through injury. Nick Richards as well, proven himself to be a rotation player at the NBA level. What do you think of, of the guys around that three? Uh, they need to be upgraded. <laughs> yep. um, if you're talking just realistically. Um, yep. I mean, a, a big name you didn't mention, uh, mainly because he's not played for a year and a bit now, is Cody Martin, who back when he was healthy was like that classic hustle, defense, does all the dirty work. That's the exact player that the Hornets are crying out and need right now. Um, mm-hmm. And he was like a perfect complimentary player, does not care how many shots he got. But he's been out with this, uh, unclear hip knee issue. It's now a knee issue, which has been going on for over 12 months. I mean, about 18 months. So like at this point, I just don't know if you can count on that person ever coming back. But look, those players um, are good young players, of core. Like they're always good. You have to look around the rest of the NBA and go, well, what are they compared to the other 29 teams? Because that's, doesn't yeah. matter if they're good. If all the other 29 teams are better, then it's actually not good in the grand scheme of NBA. Yeah. Uh, basketball. So, look, they have got a lot of potential in those three. You can see if Lame- if Brandon Miller can play the two, which he's done a lot this year, you could see, again, a starting unit of 6'8", Lamelo at point guard, 6'9", Brandon Miller at the two, 7'2", Mark Williams at center. You could be talking about like a super long lineup where maybe everyone can hopefully shoot apart from Mark Williams. And even that, there is some talk that down the road, Mark Williams will be able to shoot the ball. Um, so there's some really interesting, um, you know, roth the building going forward. You can make this a really big, long skill team, but let's be honest. I, I don't think like Miles Bridges is the other player who obviously he's an unrestricted free agent this year. Um, I think we're going to talk about him in a little bit, but he's someone else who should probably be included in this conversation. I know he'll be very unpopular for good reasons with large portion of people around the NBA, but in terms of how the team view it, they I still think they view Miles Bridges as part of this core. So as much as people okay. don't want to talk about it or might want to admit it, I just think he is, I think they will try and find a way to bring him back and they view him probably as part of this core as well. I think otherwise they would have walked away from him at any point over the last 12 months and they've not. So I think yeah. it's an interesting core what they, they have some massive glaring needs in pieces that they need to, to add an upgrade. And 
Gordon Hayward, Terrazier, PJ Washington, all like perfectly good players. I, I'd be perfectly happy with any of those guys coming off the bench. You know, Terrazier as a sixth man, PJ Washington as a spot starter when people get injured. But if you're talking about a core of a playoff team, I think going forward, I think all of those guys, I just don't quite see how it works. Yeah, I think Steve Clifford said before the season started that this is the most talented group of players that he's ever gotten to work with. And I don't think he's wrong agree. in that respect. When you look yep, at the, I agree. When you look at the potential of, of Ball, of Miller, you look at Hayward, former All-Star, Williams acquitted himself really well in his rookie season. Miles Bridges obviously pushed for that All-Star. Yeah, was, was certainly in those conversations a couple of years ago when he was playing regularly for the Hornets. But it is a matter of keeping up with the rest of the league. Let's let's get on to Bridges because I think it's interesting, James, that you say you think the team plans to keep him. He, he came up clutch for the Hornets a couple of nights ago on his return back to the NBA. When you're just talking about the team, this is a guy that can really come in and have a major impact. He's, he's the Hornets' second best player on paper. Looking at a starting lineup of Ball, Miller, Hayward, Bridges, Williams, or, you know, slide in PJ Washington somewhere, put in Terry Rozier. They're all NBA quality players. They're all players that can actually do something off the dribble, aside from Mark Williams. I, I think there's definitely offensive potential on this team. It's, it's just a matter of marrying that with players that can actually guard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think you would just, you, you wouldn't talk about defense first for any of those four players no. outside of Mark Williams. You know, mm-hmm. that, that you talk, you get to it and you go, oh, and he's like an okay defender. And at some point, you look at all these teams, they've got these defensive chaos makers, right? Who they can yeah. stick on opposing teams' best players. Like at the minute, if it's a perimeter player, you basically put Terry Zier on him. If it's a wing player, it's being guarded by like PJ Washington. And that is mm-hmm. just not a recipe for success when you get into the playoffs. Um, they, they need to add some defensive talent. Um, yeah, look, Miles Bridges, I'm aware a lot of people probably listen to this. Um, that You can talk about Miles Bridges as the basketball player, which I unfortunately have to be forced to do. And then you can talk about Miles Bridges, the person, which I, you know, uh, it's probably better that I don't talk about that. Uh, you know, but I, everyone makes their own decision and opinion on that. And I'm not here to try and convince you any way you, you want to view that. But, cool. you know, he is, like you said, he was had all-star buzz the season before he got uh, suspended, rightfully so. Uh, I think he was, I want to say, like, for the NBA players' vote, he was one of the top players in the league, actually, really surprisingly. I want to say he was fourth or fifth in the NBA all-star voting that year, which showed the respect he had around the league yeah. from players ahead of many more notable players. And he was a great fit with the Mellow Ball. I mean, they have chemistry from day one. And they continue to be closed both on and off the court. That's an added complexity with this is like Lamelo Ball, You, I can tell you right now, irrelevant of what people think of it, he wants Miles Bridges to be here in Charlotte next to him this next period mm-hmm. of his contract. And that's hard when you've got your franchise player, you've just signed to a max contract, desperate for probably his best friend on the team and one of his perfect matches on the court that he wants to bring back. So look, I think the Charlotte Hornets have probably stood by Miles Bridges more than most people think they should have. And mm. that's why I was actually surprised in the offseason when they didn't come to an agreement on a contract extension because I felt like there would be some kind of understanding there. Uh, but mm. quite rightfully, the Charlotte Hornets said, Miles, go out for a year, You know, show us what you can do, stay out of trouble, show us you've made the changes. Um, 
I know there is an ongoing more recent case, which is yet to be concluded. Um, I think the outcome of that will impact things. But mm -hmm. look, how he's looked on the court since he's come back, he's looked much better than I thought he would. Uh, you know, there's not many cases of someone just like not playing basketball for a whole year, <clears throat> not being injured and then coming back. And yeah. he's looked, I think, remarkably good. And he's made an impact on the team since coming back as well in both the Bucks game and and the uh, the Celtics game as well. So there is a there is a world where, like you say, you've got he's someone who does give you rim pressure. We talked about Lamella Ball and Brandon Miller not doing that earlier. Well, he is mm. super strong. He plays the physicality and he can give you rim pressure and he can stretch the floor at times. That is something that this team doesn't really have that downhill driver. So he does give this team something that it needs. He absolutely does. Again, a, a fantastic transition partner for Lamelo as well. Loves to get down the floor and, and, and throw one down. I, I think this sort of leads us to the point that confuses me a little bit with the Charlotte Hornets. So you look at a lot of teams in this position now looking to make that jump from um, I, I suppose, you know, the lottery slash the play-in into being a regular playoff team. Say Utah, say, uh, I think OKC are a little bit past that, but there are a lot of teams with that ambition around the league. They usually have an insane amount of young players where you just go, okay, if 60% of these players work out, there'll be a playoff team. Or they have a lot of future assets, you know, team uh, picks from other teams where you think, Right, they'll be able to go out and make that trade to add the talent that they don't necessarily have on the roster. I think the the difficult position that Charlotte are in is they're probably at a position rotation wise where you look and you go, do you know, one more guy, two more guys, this could be a team that that makes a bit of noise. But the risk of making that move in comparison to other teams making that move is so great because they're giving up their own firsts. They're a small franchise in the league. What, not not necessarily what would you do, James, but what do you think the team's attitude is towards that this season? They've got to be aware of the situation, right? Yeah, I mean, the teams over the recent years, the team's attitude has been we're going to build through the draft. Um, mm. and that is our goal, basically. We're going to be almost a non player in free agency. Um, yep. maybe it's a good thing. The last free agency contract they gave out a penny note was Gordon Hayward's, which I said at the time was a terrible deal and it has remained that way. Um, yep. We're not going to really kind of be that active in trades going after big stars. They're just going to build through the draft. And I would describe the Mitch Kupchak era as being fairly passive, just like not mm. really doing a great deal. And they are backing themselves with an investment into Greensboro, Swarm, their G League team, to essentially draft and develop. So you talk about them not having many young players. I think in their eyes, they have lots of young players. You have JT Thor, who's still only, I think, 21 years old. You have right. Bryce McGowan's, Nick Smith Jr., Amari Bailey. They drafted mm -hmm. James Najee last year. Um, so I think in their eyes, they've got a lot of young players in this talent system, which the idea being that they would take a step forward into these roles as they mature, as they get older. The problem is those draft picks have to hit, and we know the history of the draft, that it is not always clear that that's going to be the case. And we just yep. saw the risks of that with the James Bucknight, Kai Jones draft, where... That, they said the same thing for that. And now Kai Jones is out of the league and James Bucknight didn't even have his fourth year team option picked up. So if you're mm -hmm. going to do that, you just have to nail everything and they've not. Um, so the new owners who came in uh, last season, they were talking the same 
Finger off the same hymn sheet, basically, like saying, yep, we're still going to build through the draft. Now, look, if they came in and said something completely different to watch the current GM, Mitch Kupchak says, that's going to create confusion. It's going to start some trouble. Exactly. So then they're going to say that because it's it's matching, you know, we don't want to come in and rock the boat. We just want to come in. And, and what they're doing, I can tell you right now, they're taking a year here to evaluate everything. And by the end mm. of the season, I can guarantee Mitch Kupchak will be gone because his contract is expiring. Um, Steve Clifford's contract is also expiring. He will probably likely be gone too. I think the GM could be changed in a matter of weeks, if not months here, before the trade deadline. Um, but whatever that new leadership group on the basketball side are going to come in and do, and I think the first thing could be if this roster is not where it needs to be at the trade deadline, is we have to get some future assets like you talk about because at the minute they don't have yeah. that many. And you do that by trading away your Terrozers, your PJ Washingtons, your Gordon Haywards. You're not going to get a Premier Hall, right? But you probably get, you know, if you traded all those three guys at the trade deadline, you could probably get, uh, you know, a first, a bunch of seconds, maybe some, and you know, lottery protected first. Yeah, and some young players or maybe some vets, which they also need. That's something else this team needs. A little mm -hmm. bit like Orlando when they kind of sold the farm a little bit a few years ago. They did Vooch and Aaron Gordon. And um, I would say those guys don't have the same level of value as those two players, but it would be a similar system. So that's one route to do it. Um, because I think just when you get to the summer, those guys will probably lose a little bit of value. I mean, Gordon Hayward's expiring at that point, so you can't even move him at that point. You lose all value. So, but, but yeah, I, I think free agency will be something that this team, they want to stay flexible, but I think financially flexible, that's more about trades rather than free agency. I don't think they see themselves as a free agency destination. And quite rightly, like what is their reputation around the league? It's known as a place where the road teams cheer more than the home fans and they lose yeah. all the time and they're cheap and they're not well run. So making that pitch to a free agent, unless you're going to pay them, millions more than anyone else and overpay them, it's going to be a hard mm -hmm. sell. So it'll probably be through the draft. It'll probably be through trade, which I think they can be a little bit more aggressive with. But like you said, if you put your assets in for an OG Ananobi type now, that is like, that better work because you know, you've no moves left after that. Mm, you have no moves left after that. And I think if we just look at the classic trajectory of an NBA star, if it doesn't work out after a couple of years, you've got your main guy asking out. So then you're looking at, I think the first available picks they can trade are in 20, 2027. I think they have a lottery protective first out to San Antonio up until 2025. Yeah. So you could be looking at a position where your star player of the 2020s has just left and you don't have your own first going into the next couple of drafts. So yeah. it's it's definitely a risky proposition. It's a shame to hear you say that they're going to let's take a year because I thought that they could be an interesting Zach Levine trade if you wanted to uh, trade destination, if you wanted to build the most one-sided team in, in the history of the league, if you wanted to run uh, Lamelo, Levine, Miller, I suppose, Bridges and Williams, that would have been that would have been the NBA top ten highlight team, but uh, I don't think that they would have stopped anyone getting into the paint. No, it's it's an interesting the, position. What, as I, what? as what I've said before on my podcast, this team doesn't mm. need like more necessarily like shot creation right now. It it needs defense. It needs toughness. It yeah. needs like role playing floor spaces. 
Uh, and that's what this team needs. That's why OG Ananobi is like the perfect guy. It's like stretch the floor, defend really well, be tough. Um, he's actually like the perfect guy on paper. But it just, the cost of doing that is just very, very high. And like that would have to work. And you're putting all your eggs in a very, very small basket. And there's nothing this team has shown really to this point this year suggests that they're like a one move away. They're, they're multiple moves away. So you can't yeah. put all your, your eggs into one basket when there's still a bunch of other issues this team has. Yeah, I think that Mitch Kupchak should consider calling the Brooklyn Nets, see if they can get one of those 3 and D wings out there. I think DFS, Dorian Finney-Smith could be a nice budget option. But again, you don't really want to be giving up pit capital. You don't necessarily have the young players to sweeten the deal. It's, uh, it's an interesting position. I'm really excited to watch the Hornets for the rest of the year. Maybe that's ignorant of me, James. You might be uh, slightly more wary about it. I know that you tune into every game and you are one of you know the premier coverers of the Hornets out there. I'm really excited to watch Ball for the rest of the season. Miller's settled in really nicely. Williams looks like a starting level centre in the NBA. There is hope, but there is also a lot of mystery and there are a lot of questions about this Charlotte Hornets team. Um, thank you so much for coming on, man. What are you expecting from the Hornets for the rest of the year? I think what you said there, I think you're spot on with that with that observation. I think they are a little bit of a mystery. You you can look at it, like turn your head and look at it and go, there's some really exciting young building blocks here. But then equally you can look at it being like, well, if they're that good and exciting, then why is this team not better? Um, I, look, I'm expecting if they ever get healthy, which is, I've been saying now for basically three seasons. Um, yeah. But if, if they get everybody back and they can have everybody playing together for a stretch, that's what I'm really interested to see. Uh, They've not had a moment yet where Miles Bridges has been back and Terry Rizier has been back. Gordon Hayward's had a dodgy hamstring. Brandon Miller tweaked an ankle. It's just been one thing after another. Um, And I think when when they have everybody back, I expect them to probably play around a 35-40 win pace team. And Mm -hmm. that's that's the key thing that I'm looking out for. But for me, like big picture, the important thing is what does the the four of Miles Bridges, Brandon Miller, Mark Williams, Lamella Ball on the floor, what is their net rating together? Because I think that is the core with Miles Bridges probably in, in pencil, depending on his contract this offseason. Um, that, that's that's the core of this team, in my opinion, that the, the, the new ownership group will be looking at and how do you build around them. And that four need to have a, you know, need to play well together for you to really buy into that. If not, maybe that isn't the core. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, James is the best. If you've listened all the way through to this podcast, you know that he knows his stuff just about as well as anyone in the league on the Charlotte Hornets. So if you are a fan, if you want to tune into one of the more interesting teams in the league, as we've discussed, a team that is in a situation where it could go one of two ways. If you want to hear about one of the more exciting stars in the league in LaMelo Ball, if you want to follow Brandon Miller, James is your guy. His uh, Twitter or X handle is going to be in the description as well as a link to his podcast. James, where can the people find you? Yep. So uh, I write for the Sports Illustrated Hornets website, allhornets.com. Mm-hmm. You can find my work and our team's work on there. Uh, there's nobody who covers the Hornets better than us. And I'll, I'll say that, including the beat writers. Uh, also, you can find me on X at British underscore buzz. Um, and you can find my podcast, the All Hornets Podcast Network. We have multiple hosts and shows on there, but we have a show that I do, uh, which goes live every Tuesday morning with my co-host Chase. So that's where you can find me. And uh, Jack, thanks a lot for having me on. 
yeah, it was an absolute pleasure, man. Hope to speak to you again later in the season to check in on the Hornets. Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, another podcast in the books. That is episode 20. Next episode, we're going to have Lewis Satsman of Raptors Republic coming on to talk both Raptors and Bucks. So make sure you tune in for that. Have a lovely rest of your day and enjoy watching Hoops.